Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the DLC Drop Podcast. Today it's my pleasure to welcome my good friend, Alex Axeltas Rodriguez. He's been a streamer for over 12 years. He's going to walk us through how you can become a broadcaster and a streamer yourself. He's going to talk a lot about breaking down the gaming genres in esports, helping us make sense of that. And he's got a little tidbit at the end of what you can look for the future of esports. Let's talk to Alex. Drop in the untold stories of industry leaders, influencers, and insights on future innovation. I'm John Davidson, and this is the DLC Drop Podcast. All right, welcome to another episode of the DLC Drop Podcast. Today is my pleasure to welcome my good friend, Axel Toss, Mr. Alex Rodriguez. Thank you for joining me on the show today. Yeah, man. Happy to be here. I'm a big fan. I've been an avid listener of the podcast. And also I've been to the IRL events too. I get a little bit of cred for that, I yeah. think. But happy to be here, John. Thanks for inviting me on and we're going to have some fun. I I think a lot. I talk a lot and I've, I, I enjoy the esports thing and everything that goes with it. So thanks it's for a, having me. It's a perfect fit for the podcast and good point on the IRL events. We here at the DLC Drop Podcast, in the same way I consult these brands and agencies that they should do things digitally and physically, you know, we're we're walking yes. what we're talking over here with, I think you're referring to the one year anniversary celebration about six months ago. Yep. Rooftop in Dallas, highly recommend the networking, so on and so forth, the Look, foods, the speeches. Oh, yeah. Great. Looking forward to the second year anniversary in a few months. Yes. So thank you so much for being here. You're somebody I've wanted to have on the show for a very long time. We've been good friends for a while. I, I tap into your esports expertise, knowledge, and experience from time to time. We also have enjoyed a top golf suite now and then. Yes. And I'm excited to have you on the show. So first of all, give the audience an idea. Who are you and what do you do today? And we played in a golf tournament. We did. I mean, Uh, you played. I was more... (laughs) (laughs) Dude, we played in the same tournament as Bryson DeChambeau, all right? so We did compete (laughs) against a PGA major winner, champion, you could say. (laughs) We did all swing at the ball. Yours... landed on the course i like a quarter of the way through i took upon myself to be the content creator you know i was like i'm gonna take some really good pictures and videos and when we get to the green like i'll try to putt i think you had some clutch putts but uh, i think i did that that was a great time anyway so i guess who am i my background a little bit yeah uh, break it down handle handles axle toss which is always fun to kind of explain axel's anagram of alex big leap there i know Mm. toss actually comes from protoss in starcraft and that kind of gets into my history just like that a little bit where these days i'm a broadcaster and i work with oxygen esports esports organization helping them with their community development and broadcasting and so forth i also am kind of a free agent where i do broadcasts for plenty of different things i might mostly be known as a host and as a host for the rocket league championship series i was their (laughs) desk host for the first six seasons the rocket league championship event that's I was there from the beginning, so that was that was a big deal for me. And then StarCraft back in the day, and basically esports, you know, competitive games. I have my favorites, but 
kind of worked on a lot of them and been a part of a lot of projects. Got all these lanyards behind me. I was going to say, yeah. For those, all all these events, all the events that I've done and been a part of mostly on camera stuff. So yeah, people might've heard of me. I've, I've been recognized a couple times, but I'm no golden boy. I'm no, you know, super famous commentator guy. I'm kind of in the middle and I I enjoy helping grassroots initiatives. You know, that's kind of where I gravitate towards. Yeah. For our audio listeners, there is about 500 lanyards from events behind Alex right now. It seems excessive. I'm just going to say, I mean, I don't want to critique your decorating style. It's a lot. It's a lot of Dude, events. It's almost, it's, it's almost why I do what I do. Like, I enjoy hanging out with people. You know, that's where you meet people. And I know it's one of the topics we might get into. But, yeah, uh, you know, ex, you know, traveling to new places, having a different role in different events. It's all a lot of fun being able to explore. I mean, I live in Seattle now. One of my favorite events is PAX West or mm. PAX Prime, which is in Seattle at the convention center downtown. And the first time I went there, like many, many years ago, I was like, wow, Seattle's awesome. Really enjoyed it. And now I live here. It, it took me a while to get here. I went through a lot of different places, but I enjoyed it up here. So anyway, like the events, meeting people, traveling, yeah. uh, it's a ton of fun. So yeah, I have plenty of, plenty of lanyards back there. The DLC Drop Podcast is sponsored by iShaker. I've been a huge fan of this brand for the past few years, ever since I met founder Chris Gronkowski. What I love about this product is the brand story, the functionality, and the customization. iShaker is a Shark Tank company invested in by Mark Cuban and Alex Rodriguez, owned by NFL players Rob Gronkowski and Chris Gronkowski. I love using my ice shaker anytime I'm driving to the podcast studio, I'm going skateboarding, or I'm at the gym. No matter what I'm doing, it just does a great job of keeping my drinks hot or cold. The customization for ice shaker is something that's super unique. You can get any name, just about any logo engraved onto your ice shaker and delivered to you within just three to five business days. Get your own DLC Drop branded ice shaker at iceshaker.com forward slash DLC Drop. Save 20% on all ice shaker products with the discount code DLC Drop. Yeah, I'm excited to get into that and the importance of local events and these things. One thing that I do want to touch on the beginning of your career, you were one of the first streamers who partnered with Twitch, which wasn't even Twitch yet, it was Justin TV. Take us through that experience. How did you? get started one of the things i'm just really amazed by like people like now esports like the foundation is built right the infrastructure is there and while we're still kind of struggling on a path to pro if you will if you were like how do i become a streamer you can look at many other people who are doing it and you can replicate that or find out how you can get a good chance to do that but you my man before it was cool you're (laughs) streaming tell us how you got into that How, how were you able to make that happen Well, going through college and actually kind of deciding what I wanted to do with my life, right? Had a lot to do with it. I was pretty competitive growing up, grew up playing video games. I was a 90s kid, great year for video games. So grew up playing them. And in college, I decided to pursue communication and journalism because I enjoyed sports. I'm like, maybe I'll be a sports broadcaster. Maybe I'll be a sports commentator or something like that. That was a thing. You knew you could do that. I was pretty well spoken. I, I some people said it was said it was a good idea. So I'm like, okay, maybe I'll, and then I'm like, oh, all right, I'll I'll pursue communication and, and journalism because I was always very 
inquisitive. I enjoy asking questions. I, I am a supporter of the truth and all that. So I really yeah, like the finish. journalism. So anyway, while doing that through college, I was also playing a lot of video games and I, you know, I had my own computer and I, I built my own computer. So I was relatively like technologically aware, kind of the, the biggest burden back then was like internet speeds. Right. But that was when I was in college, you know, 10, 11, 12 years ago, that was slowly getting better. So ended up building my own computer and started streaming. And uh, what were really you streaming? This, what games? Yeah. So Starcraft was, was the game I decided to do because first I, I played the original way back when I was a kid, which was a lot of fun, but I never really followed the esports side of it. My roommate at the time convinced me to try out Starcraft two, which was coming out at, the, at that time. And I ended up doing it, played some four B fours. But then I got into the 1v1 scene, which yeah. is very competitive. 1v1 scene in StarCraft is one of the most competitive things out there in esports as it exists today. And I was able to kind of get into that, watched YouTube, eventually found out about television channels in South Korea where these guys are just insane at StarCraft. Yeah. And I kind of got into that scene. And that's what inspired my handle, Axel Toss. And I really enjoy strategy. It's very similar to chess. And when you're a commentator, there's a lot to explain in StarCraft. So it's like your job is is more important, maybe, because there's so much that's going on. The modern day MOBA actually comes from a use map settings game in StarCraft. And it's it was a, you know, that was a big part of my early career. And that that's why I was streaming. And I ended up, you know, commentating and broadcasting from my, my dorm, basically from my the room I was staying in, like mm -hmm. three roommates in college, but broadcasting for smaller tournaments, broadcasting for popular players. There are various strategies I used. I picked the game I enjoyed and just kept doing it consistently. And eventually I got picked up by Major League Gaming. They were kind of, wow. you know, this is when esports was growing still in, in the West, at least, at least the second wave of esports growing art, you know, there's a first wave of Counter-Strike way back in the day, but like the modern day rise in esports, these companies are looking for broadcasters from the community. That's one of the best ways for a game developer to get their game going. They make an awesome game. A lot of people get behind it. It has its own scene. And then all of a sudden you have broadcasters from the community. So that's what yeah. a lot of these guys do. And Major League Gaming saw that I was doing a decent job, ended up picking me up. And uh, StarCraft was the game at the time for me. So that that's pretty that pretty much was my my early my pretty much my start into broadcasting and streaming. Yeah. So as a broadcaster back then compared to a broadcaster now, what were some of the major differences that you see? It might have been more, I mean, certainly less categories. I think the idea of Twitch came from someone watching his friend play StarCraft itself. So it's like it started out pretty narrow with the games that were streamed. And now it's just everything is out there. Yeah. Honestly, I think a lot of it is the same with the technologies that provided that's provided with the ability for talent to kind of rise up. I'd say there's just more opportunities, more opportunities these days, especially in tournaments and and and, and finding ways to get noticed, which is nice. And then I, I guess when it comes to the IRL side of it, mm -hmm. where I guess the community was a bit smaller back in the day, but now it's it's bigger and much, much, much bigger. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, parties yeah. are going to be a lot more massive. You're not going to recognize as many people, but that's something that was cool back in the day. Mm. Everyone really did kind of know each other. And now it's much bigger, which is not necessarily a bad thing. But and of course, the Amazon acquisition was huge. I think there's a, a lot of people making more money right now than back then, which is yeah. really interesting to watch. So, yeah. Well, I think it's cool when people are able to make more money, you're able to focus on, you know, 
solely on that one thing that you love versus, you know, back when you're starting out, I'm sure it's like, okay, I'm working at Starbucks or I'm doing something else. And then on my free time, you know, on the weekend, I'm doing the thing that I really love. I know my skateboarding career, a lot of it was that there were sometimes skateboarding supported me full time. But the other thing about it too, it's interesting you mentioned the smaller communities versus the bigger communities. Because a lot of people, especially outside of esports, might be like, man, it's amazing. It's growing. It's, you know, it's huge. It's global, all these things. I had an experience years ago. I used to run a skateboard program. And right when I started it, I only had like 10 kids showing up. You know, I remember talking to this studio and the skateboard company I skated for. And I was like, man, I'm ready for this thing to blow up. You know, like I want the hundreds of kids and cautioned me a little bit. He said, John, enjoy this moment because like the hundreds of kids will come, but it's going to be so, so different. And I was like, man, you're wrong. Yes, they will come, but just bring it on. Dude, when, when those hundreds of kids came, it it was cool that a lot of people were supporting what I was putting together, but I didn't have those one-on-one moments with each people developing the deeper relationships. It was just like, I'm here and I hope nobody gets hurt. <laughs> like, it sounds like you can relate to that a little bit on that yeah. level. Yeah. And it's more fun and intimate with less, but for me, it's a trip, right? Because when I first started out, I was it was me and a group of friends who just enjoyed Starcraft and were trying to get better. We're watching YouTube mm-hmm. videos and I was, I was pretty good at talking. So like, Hey, why don't you commentate? And so it was just a group of friends and they were, and then we had, you know, streaming was just starting. And then I had like 10, 10 people watching yeah. and then getting picked up for bigger things, bigger tournaments, getting more and more viewership. I remember when I first got into the thousands broadcasting an event, it was crazy. Wow. And then fast forward a lot, I'm hosting on a stage in front of tens of thousands in a stadium which is, which is, which is really, really cool. So at the end of the day though, I mean, you're right. As far as starting small is not a bad thing at all. Uh, you know, that it it can happen naturally and that's, that's really cool. So I think anyone out there who's trying to get into streaming and whatnot, not try to stress out too much, not try to make it a day job immediately or whatever, just whatever you're enjoying. It's really the start of it is like just people, you know, playing a game that you enjoy and then going from there, you can't like be like, okay, I want to stream. And then, okay, which game should I do? It should almost be okay. What do I enjoy? What do I, what, what do I like? What do I, me and my friends like? Yeah. And that's one of the best ways that the streamers get started. Well, I've heard Gary Vaynerchuk talks a lot about patience and I've experienced this as a content creator, you know, like you want to blow up immediately, right? You're like, I'm going to do this thing. Where are the people? And whether you like it or not, the typical curve for a content creator, it's kind of like a hockey stick. It's like you're doing something for a pretty long period of time and you're not getting a lot of traction or it doesn't feel like you're getting a lot of traction. But what you're actually doing is you're laying that foundation. And then if you don't stop, if you're creating great things, there's going to come a moment where, boom, it kicks up, right? And so many people quit before that picks up because, I mean, I felt it myself. It's frustrating. Is anybody listening? I've been doing this. How is this going to happen? And there's such strength to simply time and consistency. What has been your experience with that? Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. I think also, you know, coming to a, coming to terms with the grind side of things. Like when I first started, I mean, when you start, it might be a huge grind, a huge Mm -hmm. grind might be very difficult. Might take most of your day. 
I feel like that applies to me to a certain extent. And then while, while you're going through that process, you kind of identify what you really want to do and what you really enjoy. Like, Big honestly, time. for me, I don't think I was ever into the full-time streaming thing. I, I, early on, I wasn't very into the full-time, you know, competing thing. If you're deciding to be a competitor first, you have to decide when you're like 10 or 11 these days. Just kidding. <laughs> I, I think us, us, us old folks can still compete in certain games. We'll see. We'll I like see. your chances. Yeah. yeah. You have age group competitions too. Anyway, yeah. but in order to compete, you have to play so much, you know, you have to, you have to commit so much to that and then you have to, mm. you know, so I think for myself, the grind early on was, was difficult, but at this point, I, you know, I, I've done it for over like 10 years now. I've worked on a lot of really cool things. I've built a lot of things for myself, which I'm really thankful for mm-hmm. good, you know, good reputation, right. Stuff like that. I've made a lot of good friends. So I'm, I'm more or less able to be selective with what I, with what I do, which is really cool. But you know, it started with the grind and really putting everything I had into it and now being a little bit more selective and really trying to focus on enjoying what I do as well. But I think that early grind stage is like, it's hard, it's difficult, but it helps you identify what you really want to do. And it builds towards what you want to do. Yeah, I think there's something too I've heard a lot is falling in love with the grind. So you're you're like you're not falling in love with the end result because it when when that's not there, you don't have a piece a piece of your experience is not enjoyable, right? Or your experience as a whole is not enjoyable. And it can be tough to be like I mean, I, I try to figure it out myself is like, how do you kind of trick your mind into saying rather than I'll be happy once I get here is like no, I'm enjoying this process. And I think that's a huge switch that people take and really helps you be successful to keep trying and keep going because you are actually enjoying it. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I do want to get your input for those listening who are thinking, man, I want to be a broadcaster in esports. What are some steps that people can take that you've identified that can, you know, people listening, whether you're in college, maybe you're, you know, further in your career, you want to make a switch. What should people do? Yeah, there's, there's a lot out there. And I think if you're in high school and college, like that, those are probably one of the two of the best environments, just the educational system or whatever, if you're in there, that's one of the best environments where you can find stuff like that. It hasn't always been that way. Mm-hmm. Like for me, I had, I kind of helped start some of that stuff back in the day. Keep saying that, but there are so many resources around and things that haven't even been made yet, which I'm looking forward to. So, uh, you know, when you're in college, you find out you've had friends, you, you have groups in the, in the college activity groups and whatnot. And then you have all the resources that the campus might provide. There are schools that are dedicating more resources to just esports programs, period. John, I know you know a lot about that. And that that's something that anyone can really keep an eye out for. And if that's not there, you could start it. There's yeah. a lot of like like interested people all around you. Kind of one of the tangents for myself there, like you know, going through university and pursuing esports in my from my room and whatnot. Part of the process was getting to events. And I, I lived in, I, I lived in Texas. I went to Texas A&M College Station and Gig'em. I, yeah, Gig'em. Nice done. Thank, you, you, John. Thank you, John. Do you do the yeah, whoop? That's it. That's it. Yep. Yes, you do. Are you, are you allowed to? Are you allowed to do that? I, I do don't know it. if I'm allowed to. Well, I've got enough <laughs> friends in Dallas exactly. who are Aggies. I think it like I've absorbed the privilege. Yeah. 
But, but yeah, like, you know, exploring locally, exploring what's around you. When I was in College Station, I, I reached out to other people who were at the campus. Mm. And my agent to this day, I met him in college at Texas A&M. Wow. It, I, I, I was on Team Liquid, which is one of the forum, Team Liquid forums back in, I'm not going to stop saying that, but Team, team Liquid forums. Back he, in the day. I said it. Yeah, he, thank you. He posted something about having a, a company and he's headquartered in College Station. I'm like, wait a second. I messaged him, sent him a private message. I'm like, dude, is that call station in Texas? And he's like, yeah, man. And I'm like, do you go to AM? And he's like, yeah. So we were going to AM wow. at the same time. We were both really deep in esports. Cool. And now he's, you know, he we have a great friends group and he's my agent now. And that came from just, you know, being opportunistic and also looking around and, and staying aware of the surroundings and finding finding like-minded people that are, that are right around you. And also explored other universities in the area, other cities in the area that's, that's within a drive. It's pretty active about making it out to events. And I think all of that can build towards really positive things. If you're getting into broadcasting, if you're getting into, if you're wanting to get into that, I, it, we're only a matter of time before programs are offered by most universities, right? To help people right. who really want to pursue it and that's what they want to do. And so I'd keep an eye out for stuff like that too. But what's great about it, honestly, is the, the resources are all around you from the technology, like computers, the software, whatever, there's a lot of open software, free software you can use to get stuff started, to get, you know, get your hobby going or resources from your employer, resources from, from whatever is, whatever you're involved with, like your university. Like, yeah. Yeah. I would really encourage college students, if if there's not a program that exists at your college currently that's supporting something with esports, especially we're talking about broadcasting here. So there's there's plenty of schools that have journalism, have broadcasting schools. One of the advisory boards I'm on is for University of North Texas. Their sports management and entertainment, sports entertainment management nice. MBA program. And we they, they have a partnership with the Cowboys. They're like doing all sorts of cool stuff, but they bring me in to talk esports, right? Because that's kind of the most relevant thing to these college kids. And, you know, if you're in college, like, no, this is coming. And even if, like, stuff takes time. So even if the school doesn't get it in time for you, like, you can have a dramatic effect in what future generations, like, kids who are in high school now will be able to experience because you blew the horn and helped the administration understand this is something that's coming that they need to support. And I would say, too, like, how do you make that argument? Like, look at what colleges need. It's recruitment. And it's getting jobs after school. Like colleges want to recruit students who are going to come pay them money to go to school there. If you're more relevant with what kids are interested in, you're going to get more kids. And then if you're building them for the entertainment of the future, which I'm 100% convinced esports is, they then have job opportunities and the school looks better because there's a higher percentage of kids graduating who are getting jobs right out of school. Yeah, and on top of that, from competing to like looking out for tournaments and events that your university is doing. Yeah. First of all, event, events are used across the spectrum. I mean, John, I know you've had a ton of events uh, involvement with events from, from the background uh, yeah. making those happen, but they're huge and they're massive. And they're like the, the backbone of esports. and universities. Inevitably, all of them are going to have these events for, for gaming and esports and all that stuff. So keeping an eye out for that, or even making it happen, looking for local sponsors, which probably all around you'd be interested in something like that. And then, you know, aside from competing, 
competing, there's all the other tangents that that we'll see, right? Like I pursue journalism. There's a lot of esports journalists out there who are writing interesting stories and, and so on and so forth. You don't have to compete to be involved. If you're wanting to do more writing or videography or cinematography or you know any storytelling type occupation that, that exists in esports, anything in the background, anything with production, the business side. So there's a lot of different ways that that can be tapped into. And I think we're going to start, we're going to see more of that in from universities, especially like broad, like universities having their own broadcast, stuff like that. They also have the best internet around most universities, which can really be leveraged. That's like one of the biggest things that can, can really help. So I'm excited to see that continue to develop. Yeah. And, you know, even if broadcasting is not your passion or your skill, like you mentioned, Alex, there's so many other disciplines, there's marketing, there's production, there's design, there's all of these things that you can earn a full-time, you know, wage. You, you could do this for a living and be around the thing that you love. So definitely look into that. I love that you commented on some of these local events because you and I have talked about how important local local involvement is for the esports community. Talk a little bit about why that's so important. I think in any capacity, if you can engage with your community, it's it's a positive thing, barring any pandemics going on, right? But it's not only is it does it feel good, but you're also helping your community and you're also making connections. And that's kind of what life is about, really. I think also when it comes to certain industries, the world can be small, right? You're going to be running into people. And John, I'm sure that's happened to you. It's happened to me quite a few times. You're working with someone on a project, then you're working for someone for the same person on a different project or a different company mm-hmm. in the, at some point in the future. And it's actually one of the most like heartwarming things. It's like, oh, wow, I didn't expect to see you here. Yeah. Stuff like that. So I think that, that, that kind of ties into what you're saying there too, where it's like engaging locally is important not only within your your direct environment, but also with the people that you interact with at events and with, you know, kind of being genuine and, and making friends, right? It's like making friends with your right. with with your neighbors and, and and that can go a long way. It can go a really long way. For me, like when I was in college, I engaged with University of Texas. We made an event called the Lone Star Clash. Mm. And it was a really cool university event. It was a long time ago. We we invited people from all around the world. We got White Raw from Ukraine. Shout out to him. We got Stefano from from Spain. Or sorry, from France. <laughs> Stefano from France. We got some of the best players in StarCraft in the world. And we brought wow. them to a college town in Texas. And we threw an event using school resources the university was thrilled to have it happen. And I met a lot of friends there throughout that friends who I still engage with to this day from all that, that still, that still goes a long way for me. So it's one of the cool parts about the industry really. And it's just a good, good thing to keep in mind. Good thing to do, just engaging locally and just being genuine, you know? Well, and as this industry is growing, there's more local events all the time, right? Like back in the day, definitely. you know, maybe once every three year, Call of Duty World League comes to your town. Nowadays, you've got stuff that's on the pro level. You've got stuff that's on the amateur level. You've got schools getting involved. And, you know, young people listening to this who, you know, have these aspirations to do what you've done with your career, Alex, you know, we always tend to look at like, I want to go from where I am today to the guy I'm looking up to. And the truth of the matter is there's many steps in between. And so... Number one, the easiest first step is going to be locally because physically you're close. But and if it's smaller, just like the barriers to entry are going to be there 
or going to be much less than like a grand finals or or some sort of major but also it's all about the relationships like literally every single good job i've ever had came from a relationship was like hey you should talk to john or john we're hiring or even the consulting i'm doing is like hey john i know you know this stuff like let's collab together and so if you can volunteer and see it as not working for free but see it as an investment in your future with the boundaries of you know i was talking to arda ocal a while back actually and we were talking about <laughs> like how do you volunteer get your foot in the door but not get taken advantage of and he really helped share with the audience you know if you set these parameters like hey i would love to work this event for free so that i can prove to you that i'm valuable enough to work paid for the next one or something like that do you have any advice around that sort of a thing just looking out for as many opportunities as possible and making time for it and i think also kind of staying staying open-minded with it with what might happen that's what's a really fun a really fun part of it. You don't know what's going to happen from any relationship that you may have or any project that you decide to work on. But if you do a good job, you never know what it might turn into. Someone you, you should have on the show, you know, Zach Weigel kind of comes mm. to mind. He's He founded Gamers Outreach, okay. uh, which yeah, yeah. they are a charity organization that raises money to put gaming kiosks in hospitals for kids. Yes, who are I know Gamers Outreach. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. You, should, you should have this guy on the show. But anyway, like, he, like a lot of what we're saying kind of reminds me of this guy where he, found, he founded when he was in a university, he started doing, make, making events and, for, you know, when he was in college using university resources. And then he utilized his, his parents' basement also to like start, a, start his own, start a bit, start this to keep equipment and stuff. Yeah. But he wanted to make this happen. And then year after year, he's been able to grow it. And it, it's been a, st- it's become a standard at Eastern Michigan University in Ipsland in Michigan. One of the biggest lands behind Quake. I think it's the biggest BYOC land in the United States behind QuakeCon in wow. Dallas, right? Yeah. So like, like this guy started from his from his parents' basement and then engaged locally big time and it really worked out for him and he was able to make something really big happen. And I guess, you know, to make a direct point monetarily, it's like if you can engage sponsors in your area, like that is just one of the, you know, that's one of the bees knees things you can do, right? Like you get a good relationship going locally with someone, mm-hmm. someone who's in town, someone you can walk into their office or whatever, or you can meet for lunch. That can be a really good equation to, to making things happen. Like for me in Seattle, I, I love it up here. You got Microsoft, you got Red Bull. It has a footprint here. You got Nintendo, you got 343, Amazon, you got yeah. Valve, Amazon. So there's all, you got the University of Washington. So there's all these potential entities that I want to engage with and I'm excited to engage with. So that's like kind of kind of a big point of it too. A lot of businesses love engaging locally. Like just to make that's a true. direct point there, it's like just direct marketing. You want to engage local customers. That's one of the best things you can tap into. Just seeing what's around you. That's a really good point. A lot of times we'll think like, oh, these big companies, like they're only interested in the Super Bowl and these other right. things and not my little thing. But the truth of the matter, having worked at some big brands myself, is like one of the best strategies is, is crawl, walk, run. And so you want to test stuff, you know. So be that opportunity to say, look, you know, let's help you figure out how to engage gamers effectively. And then you can take that and you can expand that nationally globally the other thing is that typically where a brand has their headquarters they are more interested to support for example fc dallas here in frisco 
their stadium is Toyota Stadium. Why? Because Toyota is like right down the street. Dr. Pepper Arena, you know, same thing as like Dr. Pepper's right down the street. So we see AT&T Stadium with the Cowboys. AT&T is, you know, hearing Dallas as well as along with a lot of other companies. So don't let yourself be intimidated if you're looking for sponsors that like, oh, these guys are too big because they do have that local interest, but also don't overlook the little guy whose entire focus is local. And that's one of the things that I love about these franchise esports, how Al and CDL have developed locally, but also you see this, the local involvement we're talking about on the amateur and collegiate high school level is without that, dude, these like smaller brands, these smaller companies don't have a play in esports because there's no tie to their small local area. And you can be the answer for that. 100%. I just had to say no to a gig that was happening here in Seattle. A buddy of mine reached out to me. Unfortunately, I have plans this weekend, so I can't do it. But, you know, just it's, it's, it's pretty important. And I think, you know, with the, with the small world's element of esports too, kind of, again, that's going to, that's going to tie into it. Just, yeah. I think like just staying genuine with it the entire way through and you'll, you're going to yield some, some good results. I love that time and consistency folks. And I, as you said too, I think it'll be a big part of the future. Truly. Like we're going to see more and more local things happening, yeah. uh, qualifiers for events, you know, pop up, pop up, you know, competitions, tournaments, passing through cities, stuff like that. So it's really, it's really fun all around and it makes the world a better place. It's kind of funny. I, I was telling someone about what I do. And one of the first things they said was, wow, wasn't that nice? There's so much strife in the world and you're, you, you know, you're working on video games and like where the foundations of it is fun. And, you know, it's like, you're helping, you're, you're helping make the world a better place. You're spread, spreading fun around, you know, and, and entertain, entertaining. You have countries that are competing, right. But they're competing in a game and you're making mm. friends from all around the world. Right. So there's right. a lot of, a lot of cool elements there. And so I guess at the end of the day, focus local, but th- what's fun about our industry is we can go international too, which yeah. it's, 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 and that makes the world a better place because of it. One thing I love is you see every once in a while on social media is these, these videos of two gamers who have been friends for like a decade, but never met in person. And they do. And you know, we're, we're such a connected world nowadays with the internet and social media and everything. And we can also learn so much from other cultures, right? I, I know here in America, we're a little bit yep. isolated. We, we tend to not look beyond our borders, but to better understand other people, other cultures, and, you know, evolve yourself. One of the best ways to do that is to make friends globally. And gaming is the perfect way to do that. You can learn so much. Have you ever been to South Korea, John? Not yet. I'm waiting That's for you to buy list. my ticket. You know, I know, right? Let's let's find an event out there and get let's it go. paid. Man. They, the thing is, like, that's something that's on my list. Anyone who's in esports and gaming, you got it. You got to go to Korea. Sorry, yeah. it's like the Mecca is foundation. You got to check it out. You got to see the events that are going on there. And that's something that I realized very early on. It's been a ton of fun. Some of my you know better friends in life are, are friends I've met who are from Korea who play StarCraft, wow. and I've, I've just met them through my through my line of work. And I haven't been able to visit Korea yet, but like in the early days of StarCraft for me. Me, you know, I stayed up late to watch Korean broadcasts and, mm-hmm. you know, there's video footage out there of events they've had on the beach where it's like hundreds of, you know, tens of thousands into the hundreds of thousands of people are just crowding to watch all this happening. Incredible. Uh, and, you know, you look at, 
you know, the reason for that is mostly the internet infrastructure was able to develop pretty quickly there compared to the United States. It's pretty, it's a smaller landmass, South Korea. So their, their telecom companies got pretty big pretty quickly and were able to develop a fire, pretty much fiber infrastructure all throughout that country. So they have more opportunities when it comes to gaming and things that require something like that. But they also have a bit of a head start from anything going on in the West. And that's been something that's been really fun to kind of try to learn from, but also keep, keep an eye on. But, uh, you know, I think there's definitely a lot that can be learned both ways. Right. And that's kind of the fun part about, again, as you said, this being such an international endeavor. Mm -hmm. I have a question for you just popped in my head is, you know, sometimes we think something we see something work in another country and we think it'll work in another country or a culture. Right. Like I, I remember when I was in college, I was learning about Disney and how Disney's in America, their first expansion internationally was to Tokyo, Japan. Well, it just turns out that, you know, the culture in Tokyo, like they really love American culture and they soak it up. And so it was just like a, a literal copy and paste of like what was in the States over there. And it was a smashing success. And they're like, all right, let's do that again in France, you know? And so they created Euro Disney major flop as basically everybody knows and not just i mean for many many reasons do you think that like we see belong gaming arenas expanding across the u.s and you know we see other companies doing kind of gaming cafes sort of a thing that's obviously very popular in south korea and has been very successful Mm -hmm. do you think that will be successful here or do you have any opinions on that I, I think it can be, and I think it will be. I think right now COVID really hurts a lot of things that are trying to get people together, I think, and, yeah. you know, brick and mortar type. Some people are saying, okay, it's time for the world to go digital or whatever. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think there can still be a nice in-betweens where you can still, you know, meet up and and, mm-hmm. and have a good time. I think that obviously the most difficult thing is the business model and what would something like that look like? A lot of, and I guess that comes down to whoever is willing to invest in it. But at the end of the day, I think it can be really successful and I think it can work well. I think it, you know, the internet connect, the internet connectivity has been the main thing that would hold it back in the States, Mm -hmm. but eventually there are interests behind things like these, this happening. Game developers want to engage market, these markets, these local markets. So I could see like, you know, Microsoft has made strides with it a little bit using their, they were having events using their, their, their mall locations, right? Microsoft store mm-hmm. locations, they're having events and stuff like that. So I, I, I kind of see it as like, you know, maybe these massive companies like Tencent or whatever, these really big companies having the money because you know, some of these game developers are, are, are really printing money, game, right. game industry being at least four times bigger than the movie industry. Right. So it's like, there's money out there and we know game developers want to treat their players and are coming up with ways to do better marketing, and engage their players more. What, what, you know, what that, what might that look like? I could see yeah. more local efforts by these game developers to, to do stuff like that, to engage local communities, mm-hmm. throw up, to throw tournaments. And I think there could, that could be really cool. So it's kind of like you, there used to be arcades in the States, right? But mm-hmm. I, I, you know, it's something that if many years down the road, I would look into opening something like that. I think I could probably some, come up with something pretty cool, like in Seattle or something. So, so at the end of the day, just the idea of a gathering place, I think is a, it can work, just has to be done right. You know? 
Yeah, and no, I've got a ton of love for Belong Gaming Arenas. Martin Gibbs, the CEO over there in the UK, moved to New York when Vindex brought it under their umbrella. Obviously, everything that Sepso and Sundance are touching <laughs> seems to be going the yeah. right way. And a shout out to our good friend, friend of the podcast, Wim Stocks, who has been on, who's pulling in all these partnerships. I know all these folks. Yeah. Well. <laughs> yeah, some of these, like some of the opportunities I see that like help you know, the business model be successful is the emergence of high school esports, right? And not having a place to play, you know, not having a place where you're going to have great internet infrastructure and, you know, every kid, you know, XP League is another one that's, it's a local, basically kind of little league of esports, if you will, who I've worked with in the past. And it's like, where are we going to compete? You got a, a belong gaming arena, right down the street and so that'll help yeah it'd be interesting to see just the consumer behavior of do american kids want to leave their homes and go to these places to compete in person or does our culture prefer you know being at home and then getting together every once in a while for like a finals or something like that. I guess we'll just, we'll see. And it'll be interesting to watch those business models adapt. Yeah. Something else that's interesting is that with some of these games at the PC cafes in Korea, if you are playing the game in the, in a PC cafe, you actually get bonuses in the game, right? You have microtransactions nice. and stuff and whatnot. So it's that's like, cool. yeah, it is, it is super cool. So it's like, imagine you're at home, but you have a buddy who's at a PC cafe. He's getting like four times the experience and four times as much money as you are just because yeah. he's at this, you know, at this physical location. So it's, I, I, again, I think there are ways it can really work and really be, be lucrative. And I could actually, I, I've thought about this a lot because again, I, something I might try to do, so, but I don't know how much I want to divulge here, John. <laughs> but I think there are lots of like really good, cool things that can be applied. And the thing is, you got to get the game developers interested. I, I think that's, that's the key, right? It's like you, you, create a relationship with the game developer, create bonuses for these players to be at your location, to, to be able to play and, and, and get, get benefits. And then it, it kind of goes from there. You can, you can work with mer- merchandise with the game developer. You can work with, you can do lots of, lots of things. So um, really smart. Yeah. That's a great way you to know, incentivize and, uh, parties for kids and whatnot. I think it could be great. Like the mall used to be a, a cool thing. I know it's a different set and setting right now with the world, but just mm-hmm. gathering places, just being able to engage with the community and the environment. I, I maybe even libraries could build part of this into what they're doing and you could tap into municip- you know lo- local budgets and again it's local community interests here so we'll see we'll see what happens i love that you know we're talking about a lot of different <coughs> games and i i want to unlock this for the audience with you because a lot of people look at esports as one thing and i always say you know we don't talk about sports and esports in the same way no one's like have you marketed to the sports audience? It's 7 billion people globally, right? Because we know that the Major League Baseball audience is very different than the European soccer audience, is very different than the National Football League, than the NBA, etc. And yeah, are there commonalities around gamers? Yes. But if you're marketing towards the Rocket League audience, that's going to be different than the StarCraft II audience, than Overwatch, than Valorant, than CDL... Call of Duty, right? So can you break down a little bit for us, help us make sense of these different game genres? And I suppose those are titles that I said, so you're talking, you know, MOBA, FPS, etc. But yeah, make sense of that for us. In, 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 in regards to the genres, in regards to the e- their esports? Okay, yeah, so... 
I think, unfortunately, gosh, it's 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 really funny because this has become big so fast. There is a bit lost in translation when, when it comes to okay, what it is. A lot of people out there think esports is just the ability to play is multiplayer, right? It's like no, esports is not just multiplayer. It's not just if a game has. What multiplayer. is your your definition of esports? I'm curious. I really think there has to be a component in the game to allow for a competitive setting. So matchmaking, I mean, there needs to be some sort of matchmaking, skill-based matchmaking in the game. Mm-hmm. And then there has to be any sort of tournament that can, you know, a tournament has to be able to make, be made from it. Sure. I mean, it, you know, pretty simple at the end of the day. I think that those are the, like the two bullet points that I really look out for. So for example, like Zelda is not any sport. It is single player. You're playing on your own. Then you have Tetris. Back, it hasn't been an esport, but I guess it can be an esport. And actually, recently there have been Tetris championships. It didn't start that way. Snake on your phone, back in, you know, mm-hmm. Snake on your phone. Is that an esport? Not necessarily. Is there a leaderboard? I kind of look out for that. So, so that's kind of what I what I look for. And there are just a quick breakdown of the genres, right? Yeah. FPS has been the most popular arguably with counter-strike first person shooter you have call of duty and halo that are also coupled in there counter-strike mostly pc based with call of duty and halo being between playstation and xbox you know the console titles then you have moba right which is pc you have rts moba is moba mobile online battle arena uh, pretty sure and then you have rts real-time strategy so moba is league of legends dota league of legends and dota two of the biggest that we've seen them and Counter-Strike have been the top three in esports. So MOBA and FPS have really been kind of the top RTS real-time strategy, I think still has a lot of potential. It has been super huge. Maybe globally, it's been the biggest with what's been happening in Asia with, with real-time strategy and specifically Starcraft. And then from there you have BR battle Royale, right? Hunger games, Mm -hmm. Fortnite. Yeah. Fortnite, Apex Legends, Player Unknown Battlegrounds. That's that's kind of a, a mix of the genres that we've seen succeed up until this point. Where I would think you put that, Rocket League in that? <laughs> it's a really good question. Sports action. And I guess you can have sports as a genre. You know, you have your Madden, your FIFA. I, I call those more like sports simulation <laughs> games, yep. which are different from like fantastical sports i guess or fantastical elements where mm-hmm. it's like what's nice about a lot of esports is that you c- it can't really be replicated and it's completely right. on its own but uh, you have more simulation style sports like madden some golf games out there rocket league i would just say action sports and that's what's nice it's like any game can kind of come out and make itself competitive and kind of be its own thing it doesn't have to necessarily be restricted to this genre or that genre like for me, I'm a little, I'm a little tired of, of first person shooter and MOBA specifically. I mm-hmm. mean, at the end of the day, you see a lot of games kind of try to do what each other is doing. That's what was refreshing about Rocket League. They didn't come and try to copy. They didn't try to make a MOBA or anything else. They kind of did their own thing. Mm-hmm. And that's what a lot of new games, that's how a lot of new games really blossom. They're able to find something very unique, something that no, that they did on their own and they're able to do, do well with it. And then, but then you have optimizations like, I will say like Apex Legends is one of my favorite games. Yeah. They weren't necessarily the first, but they were able to create such a good product there. They're able to just make do everything right with that genre. The mm. first MOBA arguably would, would have been an Arma mod uh, like maybe six, seven years ago before Player Unknown Battlegrounds. Player Unknown Battlegrounds was probably one of the first BRs to hit the market that really right. found ridiculous success. That was H- inspired. H1Z1? 
Yes, like H was, right before, was right in, that, in mm-hmm. that conversation. Yeah, exactly. And before that, though, it was there was a mod on Arma, mm. and it was kind of ridiculous. I played it; it was a blast, but it was kind of ridiculous because you just had it. You dropped on a random place in the map, and you have nothing, and it's kind of a survival game, but also there's zombies, and it was like yeah. really fun. And that, and and then kind of BR went from there. So yeah, it's kind of, those are, that's pretty much a rundown of the genres. I think there are others that can do well. I think that it's fun from a, to see what games people come up with. Cause yeah. at the end of the day, what makes it eSport, right? The question that kind of started this almost anything, if you can make something that has a matchmaking system, or you can play against someone else that has leaderboards that you can track, maybe challenges every day and eventual tournaments that can happen, you know, who knows what, what a really popular game might look like. That's a good point. And that, that's one of the challenges too, to the, the longevity or like or investing into a certain title is like for example this is i think the 102nd year of the nfl league's been around what 12 years i want to say and and also we don't have like a crap ton of physical sports traditional sports new ones emerging all the time like i see all these things on you know, online about pickleball is the fastest growing sport in America. And I'm like, yeah, when you go from two to four, (laughs) man, that's (laughs) grown 100%. That's incredible. And, you know, a little up to my pickleball friends out there. I'm not throwing shade, but you get the point. It's pretty fun. (laughs) And, but in esports, like you've got games come like new games all the time. And then you've got new versions of the game and then you have title fatigue, right? Like you're like, hey, I'm kind of over FPS and like, boy, our friends at Activision Blizzard are probably not too hyped on hearing that. But that's a real thing, right? And and gamers like move on to the next thing and you have this constant competition of a new game, a new game, a new game. And, you know, very famously, we've got Dr. Disrespect is developing a new game he's talking about, right? 100 Thieves just announced we're doing a game totally get it for the ip and the monetization challenges that everybody who's not a publisher has but super challenging to create a game that people want to play harder that when they want to keep playing right i mean i i was actually at gamestop when fortnite came out and when apex came out so it was like really cool time to you know PUBG was was popping off and then fortnite like at least yeah. initially, like, destroyed PUBG. It was just like, everybody was like, woof. And then when Apex came out, it was like, is this the Fortnite killer? And, like, everything was like, is this the Fortnite killer? Now, shout out to our friends at Epic Games who have kept their finger on the pulse of the community and, you know, kept giving people what they want. But just to that point, to, like, the longevity, the mm-hmm. like the thing has not been proven like this is the 75th year of the nba like yeah they have to maintain they have to continue growing their sport but like they've got all the big media deals for 10 more years you know basketball is not going away Mm -hmm. like there's some current esports like how's overwatch doing how's overwatch going to be doing in five years we don't know that today so Right. Well, I mean, it's like a balance between can a game have staying power or does it need staying power? Mm-hmm. And I think what's what's nice about it is as a consumer, you you kind of benefit at the end of the day because these are big problems oh, yeah. you're, you're talking about. These are this is a big it's a big deal. That's like what every game developer is trying to figure out, right? 
everyone wants to make it make a yeah. game i mean games are doing so well and they're only doing better right like it's a huge it's a massive industry and it's only growing so it's fun for the consumer because you have game developers that are trying to do the but you know how can we get the most people playing our game and that's mm-hmm. what's kind of fun for us we get to see what they decide to do or what what kind of innovations we might see that are going to benefit whoever's playing the game at the end of the day right like i don't mind the 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 buzzword that's been going around play to earn right or where you have a game that's more directly uh benefiting players like where the game developer is able to figure out ways to to benefit their players just by playing the game and i think just you're gonna see games that will have tank that will be around you know the game developers do a good job they find ways to engage their community they i'm not necessarily a fan of you know attaching a you know a number to the to your game I, i'm more of a fan of having a game that just exists and you update mm. it right like yeah overwatch one overwatch two overwatch three call of duty one call of duty two. like i i'm more of a fan of just a longer staying game that you just make updates to but you know we're gonna see these innovations happen and that you were along for the ride and i think some games will have the staying power we'll be able to develop leagues that you can predict that will be like the yeah. nfl right mm-hmm. and we're gonna see which ones have that staying power they're gonna be the games that are the most fun and that the consumer enjoys the most and that make good decisions with their game and the community will naturally pick what they want to succeed and because they're going to play it. So I have my my death chart. I have my list of games that I really enjoy or games that I really want to see. And that's kind of to me and we'll see what happens to you there. It's, you know. Yeah, the, the, the power of the free market is that yeah, the consumer exactly. will decide with their mm-hmm. dollars. It's funny. It's a good point you make. I'm kind of laughing inside here. Like just keep the same title. Just update the game. Like, when the NBA asked, yeah. you know, when when the no NBA, NBA added the three point no line, two, yeah. it wasn't NBA two, you know. It was just like, yeah, now you can score three points if you shoot it super far away. As we have about 10, 15 minutes here, I want to talk a little bit about Rocket League because I know that you are a big fan of Rocket League. A lot of people see it as the esport of the future. There's a few reasons, but I'd just like to have you break that down for us. Give us your opinion on that title. I'm getting, can I give a quick 60 second story yeah. as I, as I get into that? Um, Cause it reminded me of kind of the local conversation we were having, having mm-hmm. earlier. Cause I like talking about how I got in the rocket league. It's pretty fun. Right. Cause you know, I'm, I'm, I'm evaluating titles all the time. What's going to succeed. What's not going to succeed. When I first saw rocket league, I was like really into it. And I think I saw it very early on. I'm like, okay, this is going to be good. Mm-hmm. So I was working with machinima on a, a show called inside esports, where we, we broke down different esports and things happening and whatnot. And while I was there in, in Burbank, I was approached about a rocket league gig and I, it sounded really cool hosting their new championship series. Nice. And I had history hosting and commentating and other esports titles at this point. I was, you know, on good terms with Twitch. It was Twitch's project from the start. And I've been a you know a partner for however long. And I'm like, okay, great. Well, where is it? And they're like, well, it's, and they gave me an address. I'm like, wait a second, that's closer to me than this other gig that I've been doing. Hmm. So that it was, that was the, just a small, cool story there of how I got into Rocket League. Like the yeah. studio location ended up being really close to my gig that I was doing for Machinima. And um, talk about local involvement. Yeah. So, but anyway, yeah, I got into Rocket League early and it, it, 
we started out with like hundreds of viewers, thousands of viewers, you know, 2000 viewers, 3000, 4000, all during league play in the first year. And then we hit 90,000 viewers at the world championship event that year. So, and then I was involved with it for six years, or excuse me, six seasons. The first six seasons I, I hosted it. And so I'm pretty well known in the Rocket League scene, but it's a great game. It's competitive. It's bite-sized, takes five minutes to, to play a match. Mm-hmm. It's pretty, pretty easy to understand in that it's, it's car soccer. You're playing soccer with cars, but there's depth. There's a high skill ceiling. There's a lot right. of mechanics that make it very difficult to master. Skill ceiling is very important in esports title. What mechanics are, are, are in the game that players can optimize and become better at other players than other players. Inversely, uh, RNG is not a good thing in a competitive game. The more RNG, which is random number, you know, random number generated, just means randomness in the game. The more RNG, the less of a competitive environment it will be because it's more luck-based than skill-based. Right. Mario Kart has a fair amount of RNG, in my opinion. Uh, some mm. people might not like, like, like that I'm saying that, but there's items and you don't know what item you're going to get. There's a certain way to manage that. But Rocket League, there's no, there's not really any RNG, right? Yeah. Uh, it's just, it's the car, you're just controlling your car. Well, the only randomness is where you spawn after getting demoed or something like that. So it has, there's, there's check boxes there that make a good game and Rocket League does really well with it. So it's been really cool to be involved at the start of the, of the esports side of things. And I think it's the game and the esport are doing a lot of really good things. I agree. Yeah, I think some of the biggest things, number one, is that you have time matches. You know, when you're, when it's mm-hmm. how many maps are you going to win? Boy, that can go for a long time. And when dad yes. brings point, John. little Good John, point. yeah, when dad brings little Johnny to the League of Legends LCS spring final that I was at in Houston not too long ago and looks up at that screen, doesn't know what's going on. And then he finds out, wait, there's three days of this and they're eight hour days. Dad's not probably bringing you back to the next one. The other thing is easy to understand, right? Like everybody knows cars playing soccer, but I love the fact that you pointed out that the skill ceiling is very high. So while it looks simple, like as a viewer, it's easy to understand cars playing soccer. Like Mm -hmm. the pros are pros for a reason. Exactly. But on the flip side of that, actually the very first video game. that's, That's similar to skateboarding, by the way, John. Right. It might look simple when you see them doing this, but no, there are some insane mechanics going on. Right, at the highest level, but you could also cruise down a hill with a lower skill ceiling and still enjoy it in the same way that my son's very first game he ever played was Rocket League at the GameStop Performance Center. Complexes HQ and Jason Lake was the one who taught him how to play. Yeah, it would have been more legendary if you taught him how to play Counter-Strike, but I don't think you teach uh, a four-year-old how to play Counter-Strike. So I think we... (laughs) But so my son probably didn't hit the ball one time playing... He just had fun driving the car around, right? And so everything from that all the way up to the best players in the world makes Rocket League an incredible game. It's a really Uh, good point. Well, we have run to the end of our episode here, my friend. Like we said before we started this, we could probably do this for hours and (laughs) hours on end. It's been a lot of fun. Being a couple broadcast professionals and and good friends. But before I let you go, how can people follow you, get in touch with you in ways that you would like them to? So I'm lucky, I guess. I haven't had to attach any numbers or anything to my name across all the platforms. So you can just Google my handle, Axeltoss, A-X-E-L-T-O-S-S, and all my things come up. Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, 
And yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Wonderful. Well, I yeah. so appreciate you joining us, walking us through your amazing career story and sharing so many insights with the audience. It's been a yeah, pleasure. Yeah, and I will, just something real quick to let people kind of take to the bank and think about kind of just genres of the future. I want to give a little, little, little... Please. blurb about that i'm really looking out for arcade racing Mario are you talking Kart. simulator racing or something different you're right in that there is simulation racing and that's really cool i like stuff yeah. like that I'm, I'm really into the simulation stuff there's also simulation golfing but i'm talking about fantastical so arcade arcade race mm. you know outside of a sim, like kind of mario kart but there's a game called kart rider people want to google something and go into a rabbit hole of fun there's a game called kart rider that came out when StarCraft came out and it's been one of the most popular games in Korea over the last 10 years and further, they wow. tried to release in North America and it didn't really work out. So we're looking out for the, the community is looking out for the global launch. And it's kind of like you say, it's bite-sized matchmaking. It's easy to get into is big skill thing. So I, I, I love the game. I'm looking out for it. So that just, just a little, little tidbit there for people to, to research if they want. I'm looking yeah, out for that. Cartwrighter. I'm going to look that up mm-hmm. right after we get off of here. So yeah, archive racing. I, I'm like becoming their spokesperson, I guess, because I love the game. I played it way back in the day, and I can't wait for it to come out again. Incredible. Well, thank you again for joining me today. Learned a lot. Always good to talk with you. Glad to have you on the DLC Drop Podcast. Thanks, John. Thank you for listening to the DLC Drop Podcast. This podcast is part of the Esports Future Eye Podcast Network and produced by Innovation Media Enterprises. Make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast channel and leave us a review.